Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. And that's a lot more objective than maybe, you know, finding a couple of analysts to comment for a story. You know, it's like, okay, you can actually like show with numbers, you know, what's going on with a country or, or with a company. Digital technology is not only affecting the way newsrooms function, it's also changing the way our sources and the subjects we cover operate. A financial reporter, for example, must gain an understanding of decentralized finance or blockchain in order to effectively cover their beat. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Camilla Rousseau is a financial journalist and a former Bloomberg reporter. She's also the founder and current editor of The Defiant, a business news site, newsletter, and podcast about decentralized finance, also known as blockchain finance. Camilla, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thanks so much for having me. Well, first of all, tell me a little about yourself. How did you get interested in journalism? How did you get interested in financial journalism? Were you more interested in finance before journalism? You know, what, what's your story? So I actually decided to go into journalism at the very last minute. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something with writing. So I was kind of debating between studying literature or uh, journalism, and then journalism sounded like the more practical choice. So that's, that's why I decided to go with that. You know, I ended up loving it, obviously. So, but then my primary reason to go into journalism, like I said, was because I, I like writing. I like telling stories. I like history. I like interviewing people. I don't know, discovering new th things, uh, researching, that kind of thing. It wasn't because I, I like finance, like my... I never thought I'd be interested in finance when I went into, into journalism. So I did my, my bachelor's. I'm originally from Santiago, Chile, and that's where I went to university. My first job was at El Mercurio, one of the biggest newspapers in Chile. I was there for about a year until I decided that I wanted to try and get a job at a big U.S. media company. And so I realized that to do that, I needed a degree at a U.S. university. And so I applied to different journalism schools in the U.S. and got into Northwestern's Medill and did a master's degree there. And it was there that I first kind of even considered financial journalism. You had to take a concentration and there were different options. You could go with uh, like politics, like environment, arts, or finance, or like business. I don't remember exactly what it was called then. And so I decided, you know, I'm paying a bunch of money to be here. I should be learning something that's challenging and that I don't really kind of know anything about. And knowing about kind of the economy and finance and markets just seemed important. So I decided to take that, that financial journalism class. And that's when I realized that I actually enjoyed reporting on that side of things rather than kind of just like politics and like foreign policy. That's kind of what I did at El Mercurio, kind of the, the first job 
I had. And yeah, like from, from there, realizing that this was kind of an interesting career path, I applied for a Bloomberg News internship and right and then stayed there for the next eight years and really kind of like shaped me as a financial journalist so what is it that appeals to you about financial journalism i think a few things one was realizing how important money and like the economy is to just shaping how things work you know basically it's kind of what moves the world is money, is finance and markets. Also, I thought it was really exciting to be writing stories that my readers would rely on to make a living. You know, it's like investment stories, financial news stories, like investors and traders really like use those stories. Like they're actually valuable to them. They're not just like some throwaway thing that it's not very actionable. Like investors actually use these stories to make money. And I just thought that was that was really interesting and kind of powerful as a writer to, to have that, that ability to make such an impact with your work. And then I also thought I enjoyed the fact that financial journalism allowed you to be just very objective and accurate. You know, you're like you're reporting on numbers, on things that you can quantify and prove. And I, I started to realize that the market is a very kind of, provides just a more objective way of, of looking at things. Like a price really tells you, it's like the, the condensation of thousands of different opinions on whatever asset that, that you're looking at. So like if you're looking at a company stock, that price and kind of where whether it's going up and down, it's reflecting the opinion of thousands of, of investors all over the world kind of trading that price. The same thing with a government bond, with like bonds of Argentina have super high yields. That is a very objective way of saying people are seeing that Argentina is very risky and that the policies that its government is doing are impacting the country in a negative way. And that's a lot more objective than maybe, you know, finding a couple of analysts to comment for a story. You know, it's like, okay, you can actually like show with numbers, you know, what's going on with a country or, or with a company. So I, I thought that was just a very interesting way of telling stories. And it's interesting when somebody who goes into like, you know, politics and starts covering local politics, you discover very quickly the importance of finance that, you know, county and state budgets rely on, you know, their bond mm -hmm. rating and you know, they make decisions based on that that are going to affect, you know, the financing of, you know, roads and schools and things like that. So it has a big impact. I like the idea of what you're saying that this is something that, you know, the, the numbers are what the numbers mm -hmm. are. I mean, certainly you can interpret them different ways, but they are what yeah. they are. And so that that's really, it's kind of a clean sort of journalism in a way. So could you explain blockchain finance to somebody, I don't know, like me, who doesn't maybe know all about it and what it means? So first, like very basics of blockchain. Blockchains are decentralized and distributed networks, basically. So, and what this means is that they are networks of, of people who are running a software 
all over the world and there's no hierarchy to to those individuals who are kind of nodes of the network so it's this system that's not run by a central party that's run by nodes running a software globally and these participants in the network are incentivized with currency cryptocurrency because the way that it's uh, produced involves a lot of cryptography and so that's basically it it's a network and participants of the network are being incentivized to to run and to confirm transactions in the network by earning cryptocurrencies and the first blockchain and cryptocurrency was the bitcoin network and its currency bitcoin and then Ethereum pushed things forward by creating a new blockchain, well, the Ethereum blockchain and its Ether cryptocurrency. And the way that it kind of moved the space forward is that while Bitcoin is made to send, receive and store currency, Ethereum can also process computer programs. So it's programmable. And what this has allowed is that developers have been able to build different financial applications and the more complex financial instruments directly on top of the Ethereum network. So instead of having relying on centralized parties like, like a bank or like a fintech company like PayPal, developers are, are building open source protocols that allow users to interact directly with the code of these applications. So you're not dealing with people, you're not dealing with a third party entity, you're dealing directly with the, like what's called a smart contract. You're directly dealing with a computer program that's running on this decentralized network that's Ethereum. And there have been dozens, I think maybe hundreds by now of financial applications built on Ethereum and also on other programmable blockchains. But Ethereum is kind of the, the main one as of today where, where this movement is happening. And we're seeing the entire financial system being rebuilt on this global and decentralized and kind of permissionless network. So it, it's really fascinating. It's To me, it's really kind of the future of finance and an actual kind of revolution that, that's happening right beneath our our eyes. As somebody who, who does not follow this, who does not understand as much as, as he should, when we're talking cryptocurrency in traditional finance, I, I understand, you know, putting investments in futures, you know, there always seem to be some sort of, you know, tangible thing that provides the value for the money or for the for the currency. Is it the the programs that are providing the value? Is that that's what they're building off of? So the programs are are what they're providing is kind of the um, the framework for whatever application you're you're using. So for example, there are decentralized exchanges, and what they're providing is a computer software that allows users to exchange any one cryptocurrency for another. So I can buy the Uniswap token Uni in exchange for the Ethereum cryptocurrency ETH. And they can do that and swap interacting directly with the, the smart contract of the decentralized exchange. Or I can lend my cryptocurrency to earn interest, or I can put up cryptocurrency for collateral and take out a loan. So like different kind of financial applications. 
And then what you are using for this is different cryptocurrencies that derive their value from the market, like anything else, you know, their value comes from what buyers and sellers are willing to, to pay for these currencies in, in the secondary market. And like how you value those, then, you know, that's a whole different kind of thing that's kind of separate to like the actual use of these applications. So how you value kind of the, the currencies that are being traded and used on these applications will depend on each cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin has this specific kind of use case that's basically being digital gold, kind of the, the safe haven in crypto, the hedge against institutions, against devaluing fiat currency, while Ethereum is this this fuel that's used to run the Ethereum network, then something like what I mentioned, the, the Uniswap token Uni is the token that's linked to a decentralized exchange. So it really depends. Like there, there's not one kind of fundamental that's underpinning all the thousands of different cryptocurrencies. Like others are just jokes, like the Doge crypto that became like very trendy uh, recently. That's just underpinned by a meme and by Elon Musk tweeting about it. <laughs> so it really does depend on, on each kind of specific crypto, what's, what's kind of driving its value. So the financial people have figured out a way to put a value on, on cryptocurrency in the way that they trade it, in the way that they use it to you know, secure loans or to purchase something or, or to represent something. Right. I think I kind of get it. You've written a book about Ethereum, right? How did that come about? Yeah, I wrote the book, The Infinite Machine. It was published by HarperCollins last year. And so how that came about is that, well, it goes back to when I first started kind of writing about crypto in 2017. Or, well, the first story on crypto that I wrote was in, in 2013 when I was in Argentina with Bloomberg. So I started my career at Bloomberg in New York with that internship I mentioned, but then I was sent over to Argentina, to the Buenos Aires office to cover markets there for four and a half years. And it was in during this time that I wrote my first Bitcoin story in 2013. And it was seeing how people in Argentina were using Bitcoin to protect against inflation and currency controls. Since then, I was very interested in, in crypto. I just thought it was fascinating to have an independent currency that didn't depend on, on central banks or governments or financial institutions. So after Argentina, I went to, to Madrid with Bloomberg and then back to New York. And in New York, this was 2017 and crypto was blowing up. And I took the opportunity to write about crypto again. I was one of the few reporters covering the space during that boom. So at the end of 2017, I thought, you know, like this is incredible what happened, this like explosion. It was just like, just crazy what I had witnessed in, in this very privileged place at Bloomberg News. And so, like I said at the beginning, I got into journalism because I like writing. And so a big dream and goal for, for me had always been to write a book. So after covering crypto in 2017, I decided, you know, there must be a book here. Like there, there has to be a, a good idea for a book. And 
I decided that the most interesting story that hadn't been told yet was the story behind Ethereum. So I pitched that book to write how Ethereum was created, but from the standpoint of the, the humans behind the, the network, more so than kind of the technical aspect of, of Ethereum, though I do get into that and, and explain how Ethereum and how blockchains and Bitcoin works, but I was really more interested in kind of the, the stories and, and the people behind it. And so I pitched that book and yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how that came about. I, I spent the next two years writing it. That must've been fun. <laughs> yeah, it was very challenging, but also very, very rewarding. Yeah. It was fun at times. It was absolutely grueling at other, other times. <laughs> I forget who it said, who it said was that it's, it's not so much they wanted to have to write a book. They they want to have written a book. They want to have have the book <laughs> in their past that they don't have to have to go through that process. It's so difficult. And then you know you you were inspired to launch the Defiant, which I guess is is focused on on cryptocurrency and this sort of sector of uh, financial reporting. What what made you decide to launch that? I was writing the book. I really tried to immerse myself in in the Ethereum community. And so I started going to all the hackathons and conferences. And obviously, you know, I, I was interviewing people in Ethereum all the time. And so I had a very kind of firsthand look at what was being developed by, you know, builders in, in Ethereum. And so I saw this ecosystem I talked about of financial applications emerging. I saw that, you know, I was writing the book during like the bear market in crypto 2018, uh, 2019. Ethereum went as low as $99. It's now at 2000. It, it crossed 4000 the other day. So it's had like an incredible run up. But at the time, outsiders would, I mean, would probably think that Ethereum was over, you know, that this thing kind of, you know, kind of crashed and burned. But I was seeing that the opposite was true, that there was more development than, than never before. Like I was seeing in these hackathons how uh, developers were, were building this amazing, these amazing financial applications that were actually working. You know, they, they were working, they had users, they had volume, they were actually delivering value, which was so different from what I had seen covering the 2017 ICO boom, where there was really nothing there. It was mostly 99% just like meaningless tokens and a white paper and like a website with not much substance. But during 2018, 2019, I thought, okay, like now they're onto something. Like now there's something real here being built on top of blockchain technology. So like all the promises that we had heard before were starting to come true. And so as I was seeing this, I, I realized that nobody was really covering it very well. Like obviously kind of the, the mainstream financial media wasn't covering DeFi because it's not, obviously it's not its place. Like it's just like a very tiny niche thing in crypto. But then not even crypto media was covering DeFi very well because they really are more generalists. So they'll focus more on Bitcoin, on just like Ethereum development, but not so much on kind of these applications and, and they don't do financial coverage very well. 
So nobody was really like doing actual reporting on, on decentralized finance back in like 2019. And at the start of 2019, I actually left Bloomberg before like even thinking about the Defiant, but I left Bloomberg because I just wanted to, I wanted time to finish the infinite machine in the best way I could. I had also been at Bloomberg for eight years. So I wanted to try and, and be an independent uh, writer and uh, potentially freelance for different magazines. So anyways, I was, I was free to kind of start something new when I realized DeFi was this exciting, fascinating thing that was happening with very little coverage. Um, so I decided to launch a daily newsletter focusing on decentralized finance. The idea was to kind of curate the main news happening in the space and just explain what was happening because everything is, is super complicated. So my kind of the value that I wanted to deliver is that I would look through all of crypto Twitter, Reddit, all the announcements, decide what's kind of the most important thing and, and just tell it in plain language. And so I started doing that, but my, the idea was to, um, to have it be a, a part-time thing. Like I still thought that I would primarily be a freelance writer and that I would do this Substack newsletter on the side. But then I quickly realized that it was a full-time job to do this, at least as, as like, as well as I wanted it to, to, I mean, I wanted to, to be something kind of well done. Also, like there was just so much going on that like keeping up with everything and, and researching and just like understanding the space and like reaching out to people when I didn't understand something. Yeah, like that started to take up a lot of my time. And with that, like the Defiant really started to grow. Like I started out with like really like five subscribers because like it just happened that the week before I think I sent the first email, I mentioned in an interview that I would be starting this, this newsletter on Substack. And so like five people who listened signed up before me sending anything. But like, yeah, I just started with five people and then suddenly, I don't know, a few months in, I, I had a thousand subscribers and, and I was getting great feedback. So yeah, I decided to just go all in the defiant. I realized also that, you know, people were willing to pay for the content I was producing, was, which was, yeah, like it was a, a bit like mind blowing. Like, you know, after being at Bloomberg for, for eight years, first, like just having my own name out there without like the protection of this big, big media company, without having editors checking up on me and like, you know, that was super scary, but then like seeing people were actually willing to pay for this was, was amazing. So that, and like the growth of the Defiant and just like the growth of DeFi, all of that kind of made me decide to just go all in. That's a wonderful story. And you can tell by the, the tone of your voice and the, and the way you're telling the story that this is something you're really passionate about. And it is kind of a neat thing that you, if you happen to be at a, at a spot that you're seeing something sort of something big change under you definitely admirable that you recognize this is something i could i could cover really well in a different way if i could so who is your audience my audience has changed a bit so it, it started out as really kind of the the insider like the the hardcore 
trader and also the builders of decentralized finance so developers and like the trader in DeFi is really just like a crypto speculator like to be in DeFi so early on like you really have to be very savvy like you have to have already have experience with crypto so that was kind of the early days of of the defiant but now i'm seeing more and more newcomers like newbies join the defiant so i've had to kind of adjust how i cover defi just making sure that i'm explaining everything along the way but in a way that i'm not losing my my core audience which is is still kind of the the hardcore defi trader and and builder and user making sure that if I use an acronym or if I use like a technical term or something that's not obvious to someone who who's not in this space that I'm explaining everything. I've also created this like compilation of DeFi concepts and terms called DeFi 101 that's in the Defined website and also in, in the YouTube channel. And so I try to link to those resources as much as I can. So yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see how kind of audience have, has shifted together with the increased interest in, in the space. That's a really smart idea because this is definitely a subject to somebody hears about this newsletter and like, oh, I don't understand that. There's no way for me to, to understand what they're going to be writing about. But I mean, the fact that you recognize that this is something that needs a little, you know, people need a primer. They, they need a little background to understand it. It helps them get beyond that barrier, that that fear of uh, trying to understand something super big. Now, you you know said at the very beginning that the, you've also got a, a podcast, the Defiant Podcast. What made you decide to do a podcast? Yeah, it really kind of was pretty organic. So I I started doing weekly interviews for the Defiant newsletter, and that was just transcripts of like you know, hour-long conversations I was having with people in this space. And because I was recording those conversations, I thought it should be pretty easy to just make a podcast with, with those recordings. And yeah, that's kind of how, how I started the podcast and continued doing the transcripts on the newsletter. So where do you see this going? Where would you like to be in a few years with this? So the newsletter has really grown into into a media company so like you said we added the podcast then i partnered with this really talented producer to make a youtube channel where we have like like i mentioned the the defi 101 we also have tutorials and just like the the more entertaining side of of defi and then i I launched the Defiant website to host all of this content. And we started producing just standalone articles that would then be summarized in the newsletter rather than like published entirely on, on the newsletter. So yeah, so it really did start to look more like, like a media company than a newsletter. And I do have a team of writers and the video team. And then the next step will be to launch a data platform. So a DeFi focused data platform so that investors, traders can not only have just quality journalism, but also look at the market and like blockchain data firsthand in this platform. So 
the goal is to to really be the Bloomberg of, of DeFi, just the, the place where you know you can get the, the most reliable, highest quality information, which includes content, so journalism, and also, also data, focusing on decentralized finance and also DeFi adjacent topics like NFTs and anything Web3, which is kind of what the decentralized internet is, is known for. So my long-term vision is to, is to be the Bloomberg of Web3. So what advice would you give to a journalist who might want to get into to financial journalism? Advice is, well, first, it gets easier. <laughs> like, I think for, <laughs> for, for any journalist, like going into finance, like everything is very foreign and looks really dry. But I think like I would encourage them to kind of get over that first bump and just like endure the, the pain of it at first, because then you start to kind of get it. It's really not as, as hard as, as it seems, but the key is, is really to just be very persistent and making sure that you are actually understanding what you're writing about. So if you're writing about stocks, like what actually is equity? What is a bond? What is yield? What is, I don't know, what's, what are different kind of metrics and, and things that you're uh, writing about? Just because sometimes you're like, as a reporter, to get the story out, you're, you're kind of like writing down what you see somewhere else or like what your source tells you or what kind of what you piece together from like different sources of information. and you know, that's kind of what the job is, but, but like first recommendation is to like really make an effort to actually kind of really understand the numbers on the thing that you're writing about on a like deeper level. The other thing is like, like take advantage of all the interviews you're, you're doing and just asking dumb questions. I think, and this is true in, in reporting in general, just like, don't be afraid to ask dumb questions and and I say the same thing to my reporters at the Defiance, which, you know, like DeFi is super complex. And so like, you shouldn't be embarrassed to not know what people are saying, you know, like they're the experts, we're there to communicate whatever is happening, but we're not the experts, you know, or at least not at first, like hopefully we do become experts, but so just like ask all the questions that you need to ask, like even if, even if it's a dumb question. And that's how you'll start to learn. And then like, I think most importantly is that there's always interesting stories. No matter kind of how, how dry the topic is, there are always humans behind those numbers and behind like those, those companies. And humans are like, are interesting. You know, there's like always tension and drama and amazing life experiences. And so I, I think it's it's worth kind of, digging deeper and and finding those kind of human stories behind the numbers and behind the markets. Kamala, this is, um, I really enjoyed our conversation. I, I actually learned a lot. I don't think I know enough to write a story about cryptocurrency, but I, but I think I begin to have an understanding. And I certainly, you know, just you talking about, you know, a journalist, the way you tackle this subject. And, you know, it's also very encouraging to hear somebody who, is entrepreneurial and sees an opportunity and seizes it. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course. Yeah, happy to. I had a, I had a lot of fun. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. 
You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.